Hey, Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. Quick shout out to the new Swipe Files sponsors for all of 2022, Agora Pulse, Hrefs, The Juice, and 42 Agency. I love these guys. They're sponsoring for the entire year. So if you want to support the show, check them out and tell them that Corey sent you a lot of great services, products, tools. And so I appreciate them. Shout out to them. Check them out and appreciate you supporting the show. On the show today is Adam Duvander. Adam's the founder of Every Developer and the author of Developer Marketing Does Not Exist. I wanted to bring him on because developers are probably one of the most difficult segments to market to. How dev tools get discovered, trialed, implemented, are very unique to other software and other types of tools. So let's hear about why content is at the heart of developer marketing, common mistakes made when marketing a developer-first product, and the parallels of developer marketing to no-code and Web3. All right, so the first question that I usually always ask is, did you ever think that you'd be doing developer marketing for a living? No, and in fact, I, I call myself an accidental marketer. I mean, I'm I'm <laughs> barely a marketer anyway, right? Like it, those are my favorite I, types of marketers. My my background is is definitely. I mean, I have a computer science degree. I was certain at one point that I was going to kind of put the blinders on and write code, but I realized I didn't I didn't like that, and <laughs> and I was a lot more interested in sort of what we did with the the technology and helping others be able to do it, and so that's. I ended up accidentally falling into marketing because that's where you where you need to help people be able to understand the technology. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're a rare breed because I feel like I rarely hear that story, but I'm glad to hear it because I think that obviously there's a lot of need and a lot of a lot of expertise in that area. I so, you know, sometimes I'll help startups find their first marketing hire or sort of just help them with marketing strategy and help them try to find the right, you know, services or, or people to connect them with. And the one that I always have a really hard time with is sort of that technical marketer, someone who understands the product, if it's a very technical product, but also someone who can sort of put their marketing hat on, even if they aren't like a traditional marketer and, and do the marketing that's really needed. But it's interesting because I feel like today there's a lot more like pseudo marketing roles there's sort of like these developer relations roles yeah and there's sort of like these evangelist roles and different you know creative ways of going about marketing for developers but i'm really so to chat with you today because i feel like you're square in that sort of venn diagram of uh developer marketer and you can sort of like take a step back and see how the world has evolved to get to this point yeah yeah super happy to be here so tell me a little bit about your background and sort of the steps that led you up to getting to where you are today. You don't have to go super in depth on sort of all of them, but like what are the key sort of experiences, jobs, things that you worked on, projects that allowed you to speak about developer marketing? Yeah, so the the step in between there that I kind of glossed over from I'm a guy that writes code to I write about code and help other people do the same. <laughs> is a, a journalism piece. So it uh-huh. was writing about technology. So that was the, the beat was still web developers and the things they're building. I worked for WebMonkey, which is was a wired 
resource, like all the way back to Web 1.0, how to learn HTML sort of site through, um, worked there in the mid-2000s, and then went over to Programmable Web, which is a directory of APIs and a resource for people learning about APIs, and uh, was there from, I don't know, API number 1500 through 10,000 or something like that. <laughs> and I don't know what that, uh, what they're tracking now. It's, you know, tens of thousands of public APIs. And mm-hmm. so it was in that time, especially at Programmable Web, where I would get all of these press releases that were talking about these new APIs and really not even explaining the thing that a developer would care about it. It was kind of like, here is this new API, so that's what we do now. We release APIs, and here's an API. And I would say, what, what, you know, what is the, what's the story there? And it was having to find that story myself and realizing that those companies should be telling that story that led me to being on the marketing side and helping those companies be able to tell that technical story in a way that really resonates with that technical audience. Wow. Yeah, and the APIs, I feel like, are one of the perfect examples of this because it's not really, I mean, by default, right? It's not really like this publicly interfaceable property right, that you can sort of mess around with. Like, you have to actually dig into the code. And so it's sort of undiscoverable, right? You really have to be looking for something like that. And it has to click for people to understand how to use it. Because otherwise you'd have to sort of get recommended from a friend or I guess, is that also like the purpose of programmable web is sort of like be like an aggregator to find and discover different APIs? Yeah. I mean, the, the original John Musser who founded it, it was originally because it didn't exist. He was looking for how can I find all of these different APIs that are out there with an idea about being able to create some arbitrage between different markets, Amazon selling products on Amazon and uh, buying them on eBay or vice versa and being able to <laughs> kind of automate that was originally what he was kind of exploring. And then he realized he needed to track all of these different APIs and that led to eventually programmable web. And I think that it's a different time now where you kind of expect most most SaaS companies to have APIs. Mm. And I definitely draw the distinction between those that there are some that want to reach developers directly, your classic Twilio and Stripe, and then others that want to help their their own software become better. And so that's more the, the I call that developer-enabled, because someone is less likely to just sort of go out there and find that API directly. They're probably going to find the software first. Yeah, and right. it's more of a there's a, a different approach. Yeah, different approach that you need to take if if you're a marketer who is attempting to have developers discover that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to touch on uh, the press release idea because I think that it's such a an interesting look into how a lot of people think about marketing and that they just sort of write a press release and then they put it out there and publish it, and then that's sort of supposed to be like the landing page of sorts where it's like, well, we put it out there. And so now people know about it. It should, you know, share and be shared and spread and get to all the right people. Why do you think that people have such a hard time writing 
good stories in press releases and sort of communicating what it is that the API does, what it can yeah. be used for, the value, and the backstory that got them there. Yeah, so, I mean, I think for for a lot of the the marketers who need to get the word out about these very technical products, they don't have that technical background. And even though they are great marketers who know that it's you're supposed to talk about benefits, not features, it's when you don't actually understand what the product does, it's like you can slide back to features really easily. And mm-hmm. so I think that's often what happens there. But even when, even when they, they're able to kind of pull those benefits out from, say, technical leadership at, at the company, then you still have an audience that is really, really skeptical and and really wants to i mean the needs the most precise language to be able to to believe that you know what what you're saying right that's an important piece for for the developer audience so it's a tough line for someone to walk who does not have that engineering background and i should say i don't expect every marketer to to have that background right right and so you almost Let's just take the example of a marketer like me who's not technical, and you're tasked with announcing and marketing a very technical product, maybe like an API or a developer-focused tool where it's going to be very, the language is going to be completely different, right? It's going to be essentially in code, right? Because you're talking about things that are not normal to the average person. How would you advise someone like me, let's just say in this specific scenario, to do a good job of marketing an API or a developer first product, even if I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think it's it's really making sure you take the time to dig in and understand how how someone would would use it. And one of the ways there is to understand what are they doing now, right? It's another area where marketers know competitive research really well, <laughs> but competitive mm-hmm. research on dev tools is sometimes a little different because there are open source tools or there is the most common competitor of some a dev just building everything themselves and so really understanding what those options are i think is that's where that's where i start and the every developer team does and the work we do is is understanding what are those what are the things that a developer is comparing this to mm I love that because I think that gives you sort of a, a frame of reference, right? Because then you can say, well, this is the current way that this thing is done. And here are all the advantages and disadvantages and pitfalls and struggles with yeah. doing it this way. And now here's how we do things. And now right. there's sort of like this thing that you can compare against, which helps people draw those lines and understand uh, yeah. the value back to it. And if you can imagine how much less hypey that seems to to have started with all of that mm-hmm. sort of context up front as opposed to usually it's starting with that last piece that you said, which is here's this thing. It is way faster and simpler and infinitely scalable. And like, you know, that's just sort of like BS meter, right? Like, right. but if you, <laughs> if you pair that with, if you pair that with some of that context uh, that shows that you understand sort of the space that this came from that can that can really help to to build the trust and then have that 
Now, they might still be skeptical of any claims you're making there, but but at least there's something to grab onto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the title of your book is Developer Marketing Doesn't Exist, right? And I think that gets onto something, something we just mentioned, right? Just like the BS meter, people don't, a lot of developers don't like marketing. It's black magic, voodoo, it's gross, it's icky, it's manipulative, it's evil in some cases, right? But still, developer tools need to be shared and marketed, and they need to reach the right people and tell a story that resonates. So maybe this will be sort of like a a tipping point or a, a kicking off point for us, but what's the difference between doing marketing to a developer that doesn't feel like marketing, that isn't icky, that isn't evil, (laughs) where there's no BS meter kind of flashing off, and the ones that that do, where it's sort of like spammy and promotional and falls on deaf ears. Yeah, and I I mean, I think it gets back to what we just talked about, about understanding how a developer actually works and then being able to educate them. So there's a difference between education and promotion, right? And done well... The education will will play the role of promoting your product, but you don't sort of go directly at it. You need to to go to the side and help help developers learn and understand. Yeah, and that's throughout the book. It it sort of sets that philosophy and then goes through different types of content and and even events and how you can take that same approach to each of those. And make mm. sure that you are, yeah, that you're being educational. Yeah. What does that education usually look like for a developer? Like I can tell you as myself, for myself as a marketer, uh, a lot of it is just coming through um, a lot of podcasts like this, where I'm sort of picking up on what are other people doing and what are they talking about? What are they saying that's working for them? Some case studies. I'll usually take, you know, courses, but a lot of it is just sort of like you're picking up stuff along the way of what other people are doing. Usually it's like a case study or some sort of highlight of like, look at how this big thing worked. And then I'm trying to deconstruct what it is about that tactic or strategy. But I have to imagine it's a lot different for developers and basically because their day to day is a lot different what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. The, the classic educational content for developers would be a tutorial. A Hmm. here is how you make this thing work. Here is, you know, the, it may just be, a hello world simple example but here is the first thing that you can sort of see and get code onto your computer and watch how this this product works um and that even sometimes companies get wrong where it's a lot of do this thing with our product right like it's mm. like way up like that's that's the point of it get started with our product. We're going to have a tutorial. This is education. But again, that that comes back to the, the, the eyes are focused the wrong way, right? Like they're completely internal uh, to their own product. I like to point, uh, I mean, Twilio is a classic example. So if anyone is playing the developer marketing drinking game, you can take a shot now because we're mentioning <laughs> Twilio. But, but one thing they do really well is it's not get started with our SMS API, but they have one that is appointment reminders, right? And so they take this use case, which is just one way you can use an SMS API, but they tie it into this use case that then acknowledges where a developer is. What's the, what's the problem they're trying to solve? Oh, mm-hmm. it's to be able to get appointment reminders into their app. 
and and then takes them through that example. Now, the actual code is pretty darn similar to any other SMS use case, but that wrapping it around that problem makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. It's funny because uh, very recently, so I work with Derek Reimer, a savvy Kel, helping with, with marketing, and we just recently moved over to Ghost for our CMS because he was basically, we, we've been going through a bunch of ideas of how to reduce the workload on his end of uploading content to the site because it's a you know custom static generated site essentially it's not like a right. there's no front end like a webflow or like a wordpress but we also he's just been like uploading these markdown files basically to the site and <laughs> yeah. the CMS and it takes a lot of time and formatting and stuff like that so we're trying to look through a couple different options of how to create this little interface or a way to for there to not be so much work and also for the writers directly we have a team of freelance writers to upload to the site and just recently I think, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he kind of like stumbled across this, maybe, I'm not sure if it was a a tutorial or maybe just like a help doc on how to use Ghost's API with Eleventy, which is like the, sort of like this middle layer that he's been using already Mm -hmm. for the site to help with a lot of like accessibility and styling and formatting, all that stuff for for the blog posts. And uh, and then it was like magic. So he was basically like, yep, they basically like had great documentation, really easy tutorial. I like hooked it up and like tested that it would work. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is going to work for sure. And then pull the trigger and yeah. now we're on ghost. But it's so interesting because I think that use case example is really, really key from what I've been hearing over and over again is like, instead of starting with the thing that you do start with the thing that the end user wants to do yeah. what they want yep. to accomplish. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, integrations is another great, angle that a company can take and and certainly from my from my zapier past that (laughs) i know the power Mm -hmm. the power there i mean the you look at those connecting this app to that app stuff zapier has pages and that you know no no internal information here to share that that is a huge amount of traffic for for zapier to be able to have those combinations of pages and yeah so to be able to do something similar with you know, with other tools that make sense in line, that together you have these tool de- two dev tools and they create a use case can be really powerful in terms of attracting developers just exactly like you saw what happened with Derek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I want to dig in a little bit deeper into how developers normally discover new tools. So last month we had a, I host a little Indie Hackers of San Diego meetup for entrepreneurs and developers and people making side projects here in San Diego. And I was talking with our friend Colleen, who's uh, part of the Hammerstone dev team, and they're working on a query builder for Laravel and Vue.js. I'm speaking another language here. I don't really know exactly what that means, (laughs) but I believe it's called Refine. So anyways, she was telling us about all their progress and sort of how they're getting close to launch. And of course, you know, I sort of raised my hand as the marker and I was like, well, like, how does this normally work? Like how do people normally find a query builder if that's even like a, you know, established category? And she was, you know, we were sort of fumbling around a little bit, but a lot of it seemed like it came down to public speaking and some word of mouth and sort of like getting in the right documentation of other tools, even mm-hmm. of sort of like being used in open source projects or you know creating these little tutorials that are sort of integrated right with other projects where sort of like they are like a piece of the puzzle 
right? Or maybe even like some open source stuff. But if you had to categorize like uh, the different ways that developer tools normally get discovered, what would those major buckets be in your eyes? Yeah. So you mentioned a couple there. I think community is a, is a broad Mm. one. And you, you mentioned developer relations before, and, and typically that would be, that would be where, you know, developer relations would make sure that the right communities and, and actually I, just to take a step back on community to make, make it clear what I'm talking about. It's existing communities. A lot of times a, Hmm. uh, a developer company might think that they need their community and that is, you know, if it's a large enough product, yeah, that probably exists, but there are all of these existing communities, whether it's around an open source tool or around a programming language, right? There are these existing communities that you would want to interact with. And a lot of times that's developer relations. That will be a big part of, of what they do is to, to find and interact with those communities. And whether that is in-person events and going and speaking about issues that that community has, not necessarily about their tool, right? So being able to connect with, with communities is, is definitely one that I think partnerships, it sounded like, was a, a piece of that. And that goes back to the integrations conversation too. But whether that's a partnership with open source tools or other complementary tools, and and then I think, you know, a lot of I mean I, I come from the content world, so that's I definitely see things through content and you know, I would see an announcement like that around some of the problems that it solves and being able to have have a series that then goes beyond that sort of announcement moment and is able to if you're solving like that that ghosts and CMS CMS to to static generator problem like that's not a problem just the moment that that they release that right that continues to to play out over time and so that's that's often where where we end up focusing is on that that path that can be a little more evergreen to be able to to have different types of content depending on on what it is but less on that sort of announcement and more on the how can we how can we seed this with a bunch of small solutions to known problems? Mm. It sounds like maybe one of the things that that sort of taps into is that when you're making an announcement, it's sort of this, this one-time promotion, right? And this is yeah. a one-time thing. But I forget about stuff all the time. I have lots of other ideas and things in my feed and things that are distracting me. Yeah. Uh, and it might not be another six months, year, two years until... I need the thing that was announced that I've forgotten about since then. And so you want to insert yourself at the exact right time and moment and place when people are in sort of buying mode or in searching mode for a tool like yours. And normally that comes through content. So it sounds like there's like an SEO play there. We talked about tutorials a little bit, but is it more heavily skewed towards text or video, audio, some sort of in-between or or other? Well, Text is definitely my backgrounds, so that tends to be where where we focus in developer relations. There's a lot of streaming going on, and and video can can play well there. Again, that's a little bit more of a community 
aspects. The great thing is that that can then be turned into text content, right? You can sort of do some repurposing there. And that was that was a big part. So I worked at SendGrid and uh, email API, and there were about a dozen developer evangelists there. And that was that was basically what I did was help to scale that team that was going out mm-hmm. all over talking about dev things and how can we take some of those things that happened in a room of 25 to 250 people, how can we turn that into something that then is able to live forever and many of those many of those blog posts are still on the SendGrid site. So looking for ways to be able to do that. I think there are a few other things specifically for for developer products that can work well. So uh, there are tools. I wrote a post on on Heavybit mm-hmm. recently about using developer tools as marketing and it gets it gets a chapter in the book as well about being able to being able to take a tool and solve a small problem that then will can act as a an attractor for for developers who will then say, "Oh, wow. They have this other this other thing." So a current example of that would be Netlify's uh, Jamstack site that has a bunch of static generator, you know, lists a bunch of static generators, lists a bunch of CMSs actually. Like that's another way that Derek could have discovered a way to be able to connect those potentially, right? If, if mm-hmm. he was looking for a CMS or looking for a static site generator. And then of course that goes great with Netlify's service, right? That that goes well with that. And then I uh, you know a, a big thing that that I like goes up kind of a level from that and really doubles down on that idea of of how is a developer going to do this? on their own right now without my product. And that is the, I call it the developer content mind trick, and it's how far can you go down the road with that developer on what they are attempting to do, building it themselves. Hmm. How can you help them, show them that path? And some amount of them are going to (laughs) stay on that path forever, and that is the one that they have decided to go on, but Others will say, who is this who knows all of this stuff about this this big problem? And what is their service that they have? And if that service happens to do some part of what that that problem is that you're showing, then some large number will go with your product and and you'll have convinced them that you know about. So, so that the, 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 I, I think all I think lots of these can work in non developer areas, but I think they work especially well with the skeptical and community-focused developer audience. Hmm. And, and to clarify, that the developer mind trick is essentially when you've created content that exhausts or is like is comprehensive to cover and sort of teach uh, someone how to solve some sort of particular problem or sort of like this this big area related to the product that you've yep. created to solve this big thing. And so it just feels like someone can't get away from your content without discovering you if they are trying to attempt to solve this thing. Is that, exactly. am I getting that right? Exactly, yep, yep. And yeah, so yeah. it feels like you're everywhere and <laughs> you know everything about it. Yeah. I love that. Uh, one of the things that just popped in my head that I... I feel sort of silly asking now a little bit later in the conversation, but 
who is normally doing the developer marketing in a company? Say, for example, like a, a Stripe or a Twilio or I don't know very many or, or a SendGrid, for example. Is it a head of marketing? Maybe like a, someone like me, but they know how to code. Maybe they don't. Or is it more of like a developer relations person? It almost seems like developer relations is more for like the big platforms and right. like code specific communities and then like the the companies who are marketing their products need to work with the developer relations people but they're two different types of of roles but it's one of you to expand on like who is doing the marketing and developer first products yeah and i think it's all of the above and more i mean it's yeah it, there's not yeah there's not one answer to that on developer relations i think more and more you will find them bristling at the idea that they are marketers even though like that is a big part of what they do and less and less mm -hmm. do they sit inside an actual marketing org in in at least at least the of the ones I've talked to it's a lot more these days focused on product and can they get sort of product feedback and be able to help with that that sort of product feedback loop less mm -hmm. so than marketing because when you're in marketing you often get set with these sort of marketing goals that run counter to being able to actually do what's right for the community. So I think mm. that specifically with developer relations that can that can play poorly. So there still are so I think a lot of content so you'll have often head of content will will be uh -huh. running a lot of a lot of this at least those you know that that I work with because in that case they're able to you're able to have some of those marketing goals aren't aren't as counter to it as long as you make sure that someone is maintaining that that voice of the developer within the content that that you have so making sure that that you aren't being super promotional and that you are being educational then yeah someone who who's really focused on content and scaling content can do really well there yeah and i mean there's there's definitely historically has been a lot of events so you sometimes see sort of that angle at at things though again that can be done poorly and it and it can be done well and that's why I almost didn't put an events chapter in the book really but I felt like it needed to it needed to be said how to approach that and and it's it's like it's like other content really it's you know if you can get a developer thinking about solutions and kind of noodling on a problem that they actually like that piece. So things I've seen done well at events are having kind of escape room type of things or like kind of like things that you have to solve. And going way back, Mashery did this really well with being able to like actually looking at API responses and finding clues in there to to other mm -hmm. things and sort of this went, you know, if there's a three day conference, you sort of go through and you, you put some of those answers in and, and dig around a little bit and devs do enjoy that kind of mental stimulation that, that can come from, from a, a well-crafted problem. And so some of that stuff can, can work beyond just the sort of, you know, one way, shouting this is what we <laughs> this is what we have which is 
the, probably the most common way to view an event. I think one of the things that strikes me about developer first marketing is that it's very interactive in the sense that, you know, just yeah. get that example of like you're plugging in clues into an API and you're sort of like engaging the crowd or the attendees in some way where they can, you know, come up to your booth and start a game, right? Or they can scan a QR code and now yeah. they're sort of entered into a competition of some sorts or some sort of puzzle or, or a giveaway where you're incentivized to do things. But also even in, in, the, in the tutorials, in streaming, right? And a lot of content that is created, it's, mm -hmm. hey, follow along as we do X or we will teach you to do X sort of alongside you. Yeah. That's a really like fun dynamic. I think that's missing from a lot of other like types of marketing or or the, the people you end up marketing to where it feels very one directional. Mm -hmm. But if you're a developer, you're constantly interacting with APIs and in code, right? Which inherently is interactive, which is really fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's actually on, on the, the sort of list of developer experience things to include, which has things like developers want the documentation to be complete and accurate. Okay. That, you know, we expect that. But one of the things is interactive tool like some way to be able to explore what you have before you actually make the step of going in and so for an api that can be just can i make an can i see a sample api call can i change the things around and see how that changes the response but that can for for other dev tools that can can be different but finding ways to be able to encourage that interaction even before they have they've signed up and that goes back to actually that tool example too like the mm. the tool is another way of being interactive mm -hmm. right yeah and a lot of the, the open source code and uh, the, the engineers marketing as i would i always call it i would call it right for myself but you mentioned this word developer experience what does that mean or what's encompassed in that idea yeah, so it's it's now an old idea, over 10 years old, and but it basically takes user experience and applies it to the developer user. Mm -hmm. And and so that can be everything from the how the documentation is how you browse the documentation to a big part being kind of that onboarding experience which is important for all audiences, but for a developer audience that onboarding is how can you get them to hello world how can you get them to some code on their computer and then i think it goes all the way across the spectrum of the your sort of first impression with them how how do they hear about you what do people say about you all the way through someone who's been using you for a long time and they need to come back to the site and find the exact thing that they need <laughs> the answer to their their question now which is the that's the the downside of being too focused on that first experience is that what about when developers have that second and third and you know final experience how can how can you still provide exactly what they need so yeah so it's user experience applied to that developer audience i see yeah is advertising in any way feasible viable a good idea for marketing to developers yes so I think just like everything else, it needs to be done with that approach for developers, so that education approach. And, mm -hmm. and so it's another, another one that it's another chapter in the book that I was, you know, feeling less certain about. I'm, I'm really certain mm -hmm. about, you know, content that, that 
you publish and control and help developers use, but yeah, but less so on there. But I, you know, in sort of researching what others have done and looking back to my experience, the the best ones have really been focused on the same stuff that you want to see with non-advertising content. So how can you help the developer? How can you show you understand their problem? And that can be a little bit uncomfortable when you're used to fully promoting. I mean, you're paying for it, right? So, so, so you want to get the most you can out of it, but still taking that, you know, that's that educational approach in what you do there. Now, I would separate advertising from sponsorships, and I would say sponsorships is something that can probably work even better for developer audiences because that's, again, you're joining a community and you are being part of that. So if you're looking at developer podcasts or events or even even existing tools, so in the when you're thinking about, oh, I want to make this tool and use it as a way to attract developers, what about the tools that already are attracting developers, the free tools mm-hmm. that, you know, could you sponsor one of those to be able to, one, show that you support it, and two, be able to explain how you fit in there and help them take the step, the next step after that tool. So I think look, going, going at it from that same philosophy is the way to approach, to approach advertising and sponsorships. Hmm. I, I believe I've also seen GitHub as like this ability to like be a patron for certain developers right, yeah. on open source projects, or I'm not really even certain what that means, but is that sort of in the same vein of sponsorships? Could, could be potentially. I'm not sure sort of what you get beyond a listing on the repo there. And some of those might have some other, some other options sort of, right? What, you know, are you mentioned on, on their primary website also? Certainly straight up support of a community developers do like to see, but I know a marketer is going to want to see something beyond just <laughs> the sort of, you know, the logo being there and, and usually right. And, and it being seen as a, as a positive thing. So what's that, what's the way to, to be able to have something there that you do, you do get back, not just, not just altruism mm-hmm. and look, look for that as you're, as you're exploring those. So, you know, certainly putting a few bucks to support something that your, your customers use, that's, that's great. But if you're talking something beyond that, look to basically look to have a relationship with who you are sponsoring is I think the underlying piece there. Don't look just to be able to, when you're looking at sponsorships to just sort of toss the, toss the dollars out. How can there be an actual relationship there? Because that's going to be where you really see the return with developers. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I hadn't considered until just now as you're talking was that I'm not really even sure how developers normally would would sign up for a developer first product so what what got me thinking was you were talking about you know you're sponsoring but obviously if you're doing marketing you want to see roi so i was thinking well yeah you want to be able to show some sort of attribution right and track it back to Mm -hmm. an ad in a github repo or you know something of that sort right but i'm not really sure to be honest 
how developers normally would start interacting with yeah. a developer first product. Is it sort of your normal sign up flow? Like you have to create an account and then you get access to X, Y, and Z APIs or sort of keys or, or whatever it is. Or I think that there are some right that are just public. And so you, you might not right. ever That's... know until there's some sort of fade, uh, paid uh, paywall that you come up against. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, and you're right to break it down by, by those sort of two approaches. So if it is a SaaS developer tool like a Twilio or a Stripe where there's a sign up and you then have a dashboard that you can have kind of a classic sign up flow there doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to perfectly attribute everything because developers do sign up in different ways and <laughs> any of the things that you do like putting a form in front of them they're going to immediately be able to figure out what is happening with that right there's a what's the what's your behind the scenes master plan and they're going to not necessarily want to go with that you have other mm-hmm. issues like they might be using ad blockers they're likely using using ad blockers and mm-hmm. and other sort of things that are going to going to mess up your tracking doesn't mean don't try it don't try to track but just be comfortable knowing that you might not have as much as you've maybe had in, in other products. But you're right that something, I mean, sometimes it's open source. And with open source, you can go and you can just get it straight from GitHub and you can you can use it and never have having given your email address or any other piece of information. And that can be that can be really scary for <laughs> for some marketers. I you can always have an option that does have some sort of flow, recognizing again, though, that developers that will put up sort of the signals of, wait, why do I have to do this to get open source software? Hmm. Another is is looking for that moment where there's a win, where you can put a call to action to be able to say, like, this is this is the situation where where our paid product can actually help you more. And so finding out where those where those spots are and being able to to encourage developers to reach out to you at that point mm-hmm. is another way to be able to to be able to track those those moments. Yeah, that, that's pretty tricky because I think for anything else, there's always a sign up flow. Like you, you will always capture someone's information before they start interacting with you in some way, which makes it tricky. I think there's also an opportunity there because it means that there's less friction and there's, it's sort of more open and more discoverable, right? And it's just more publicly accessible. So therefore it's casting a wider net, but at the same time it does make that tracking a bit more difficult and or it makes it harder to sort of engineer the right outcomes, right? Because it's out of your control in some way or or it's, it's more than out of control, it's out of sight, right? You might not even know people are using it yeah but if that if that's going to if developers are going to be an audience that you want to reach there has to be some level of comfort with that (laughs) uh Mm -hmm. and knowing that 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 you have to that you're doing things the way you're doing them because that is what's best for the audience and uh a lot of people will point to a lot of different reasons for why twilio has had the success they've had but one I don't see mentioned as much that I absolutely would toss in there is that their CEO has been all about the developer experience. And I mean that broadly in the 
how does a developer experience our product, right? Not just not just the make it pretty or make it easy to use, but really standing up for that developer user. And um, and so they were able to be as visible in the community as they were because he was willing to stand up for that line item or those line items that that were probably a large investment to be able to get that developer mindshare. Hmm. Right. You don't want to be stingy or sort of, I think one of the, one of the big parts of marketing is just like not shooting yourself in, in your foot. And one of the big ways you can do that is just by doing something contrary to how everyone else does it. And so if everyone else is, yeah. so I talk about those with, with, with freemium and with a lot of pricing models these days is you can be, you know, kind of like a stickler and be like, Nope, no trial just paid up front and, or like jump through all these hoops, go through our, through our sales process. And the more freemium products are out there, the more free trial products there are, the more like credit card, not required products there are. It sort of you know, lowers the bar in that way where other people are, lo- are looking at your app now and thinking, why can't I trial it the same way as I have for all 15 of the other tools that I now yeah. adopt. Right. Yeah. And, um, so you have to be careful to not, <laughs> not look like the, the stickler in the crowd. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the early days of Stripe, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but it was essentially sign up optional. I mean, you, if you get to the point where you need to connect your bank account, I'm sure that required, required it, but you could experience a lot of Stripe, including mm. live API calls. Yeah. Just without signing up. And so that, that kind of goes a little bit to that, you know, not putting that gate in front was one of the things that that they did that worked to be able to to at least earn the trust of developers and definitely be able to show them what what they could provide. Mm-hmm. And yeah. runs counter to other other tools. Right. Exactly. One of the other things I was thinking about was the difference between uh, marketing to just like your sort of end user developer, a software developer and someone who's in the code all day long building stuff out versus like a VP of engineering, for example, Mm -hmm. someone more in management or leadership or who is making decisions and helping a team move along. Are there any differences there or nuances or sort of case studies from what you've experienced? Yeah, I think, I think being really clear about who it is, is, is an important step. So even so much as as knowing whether it's a developer at all or or even you know mm-hmm. in the engineering org at all and that's that's one i often see misinterpreted they think oh there's this api and a developer must use this to be able to like that is the way this tool is used but that doesn't mean that that's the audience that you need to reach originally so is is the problem that you're solving actually a developer problem or is that a vp engineering problem or is that a cmo problem right Mm -hmm. or or anywhere in between right so i've i've actually so i would argue that any cms that has an api is likely does not need to reach developers directly now, all right, you get to a large enough size Salesforce. They definitely have a huge developer platform, but 
that's not for selling their <laughs> primary software, right? That's that's really sort of, yeah, an ecosystem that is much further out than most companies have to think. So, yeah, most CMSs are going to be, that's going to be a sales or a marketing org that you re- that really are going to be the ones buying the CMS. Now, being able to wire the things together, that's that's the developer side. And so I would refer to that as developer-enabled instead of developer-focused. And I have kind of a continuum with those roughly as the, as the ends, and there are spots in between where there's sort of, there's still things that maybe don't directly solve the developer problem, but they are the ones who discover and champion it and and then you know spots where where they're the ones that have to support it so they are likely to give the yes no on this tool but they might not be the ones who originally find it and so there are things at each of those stages that that you need to do in you know in many cases you still need to worry about your developer experience because you want to make sure that after everyone who the the audience that found it and likes it when they turn it over to the developers that it doesn't get sort of vetoed, right? And so yeah. being able to have show that you have the things you need is important there. But do you need to create a tool or go out to events, developer events, right? Do you need to do all of those much more external things? Probably not, unless again, you're large enough that <laughs> that you that that has additional benefit to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of tools that also have maybe have like multiple stakeholders or just like need buy-in from sort of like every level of the engineering team all the way from the VP down to sort of like, you know, your yeah. end software developer. It made me think, so I recently talked to the founders of Cloud Forecast and so they, you know, they were elaborating a lot on sort of like, well, here's what it is and here's what it doesn't. Of course, that's a different language to me, right? But if I can just read off of their their homepage, it says, surprised by your monthly AWS cost. So immediately, I'm, it's probably, you know, each like developer developing with AWS is not thinking about the cost, right? But someone is getting a bill at the end yeah. of the day. <laughs> and that someone is probably someone who is not the one writing the code uh, usually, right? But basically yep. it says, Cloud Forecast is an easy to use AWS cost management tool, helps engineering, site reliability engineers and DevOps teams monitor and eliminate wasted AWS costs. So that you have to like sort of spans across different functions, even in the engineering yeah. team itself. Yeah. But very likely, unless it's a small, small org, a developer is not directly concerned about those costs, right? right? They, mm-hmm. but it sounds like it's their actions that probably need to change to be <laughs> developer actions that need to change to be able to to change that but i would see that as as pretty classic developer enabled where hmm. you need to find the people with the problem which is probably on on the finance side maybe up to 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 vpn or something you know right being being told <laughs> your servers cost too much yeah but but yeah going straight for the developer seems like uh, that's just you know off the cuff seems like that would be a tough one there unless you're really willing to to be play that long game right and be known as that when those problems come up then when developers hear word of pro- those problems in their org they know about cloud forecast mhm 
right? It seems like there's always like if it is more of like a um, developer enabled tool, then maybe there's some sort of bottom up strategies where you can get the developer involved early on to be sort of like this champion and sort of infiltrate the, yeah. the engineering team or in the opposite case, maybe it's like a, a Stripe or a Twilio or sorry, I'm getting those backwards, but basically you can sort of go top down or you can go bottom up and right. either way yeah. you, you want to hit both of them, but it's just the order might be different. Yeah. And, and I would, I would think in developer enabled, the bottom up would be likely the lower priority, especially because it just takes a long time. Well, I guess that if it takes a long time, you want to still be doing some of it, right? If, but yeah, but it's, you know, it's ma it's like, look for what's the developer utility in something that you do. So is there, is there sort of the, like, yes, it's great if your whole org does something some way that you're, that the software helps do, right? That the, the product helps do, but what's the, what's the win for that solo dev? Can they organize their code or their deploy process in a, you know, their test deploy process in a better way? Is there, is there something that you can provide at that solo dev level that makes it useful that then would encourage them to share it in a Slack channel? That sort of looking for those things, which which is unlikely to be the same as the as the top down value, right? Like, yeah. oh, everyone yeah. uses this, like, right? It's yeah. So looking for those would be the way that I would approach that. Yeah. I want to get back to sort of our, our bread and butter before we wrap up here on, I think what you've coined as the dev content framework and just how to think about it very practically, yeah. very tactically, how to create content for developers. If I'm understanding correctly, could you just kind of walk through that and explain how the, yeah. what the framework is and how to apply it? I mean, we've been talking about a lot of it already. So uh, yeah, sort of indirectly. Yeah. So uh, discovery, education, and viewpoint are the three mm sort of pillar areas and and to me they you use them to create topics to be able to use it as a checklist to make sure that what you're putting out there is useful to developers so discovery another another d i sometimes use for is dilemma but basically it's that problem right it's like how are they going mm -hmm. to discover you well they they have some kind of problem or are researching something right now like, let's look at where they are now because they're not out there necessarily looking for the tool that you have. So how can we, how can we meet them where they are and then educate? I mean, we've been, <laughs> we've been talking about that a lot already, right? How can you then yep. once you've met them where they are, be able to help them take additional steps. But then we haven't talked a lot about, about the viewpoint and that is an important piece. And I think this is the case uh, across all products, you know, whether it's dev tools mm. or not, but, but it's often missing. And I think for the same reason as some of the other stuff we talked about with marketers don't necessarily have that background. So they kind of are afraid to take that like strong stance of a viewpoint, but it's really important. And I mean, any, any company is founded on some opinions. <laughs> There's a reason why they exist. And a lot of this actually goes to, it might, if you, if you know sort of your positioning, you likely know what a lot of these viewpoints are and it's being willing to put those out there. And yeah. And so, so often technical content can be really dry because it doesn't have 
an opinion in it. It's just really mm. sort of basic and maybe factual, which is great for some documentation, but is not the sort of thing that is going to attract developers and and then really have them feel like like they understand where where you are and that you're you're a tool that they want to join right you're a a product they want to use and so that's often often a missing piece and that's a lot of what of what we work on and it comes back to that journalism piece that i said before right it's like what's the what's the point here and that's a lot of what we do with clients is being able to help them help them find those those problems, you know, discover the problems, help them figure out how to educate and do it in a way that shares their viewpoint. And one one quick example of that, we we worked with a company called Optic, which is an API tool. So it's a it's a very like technical tool, but one of the key things that they believe is that you should be able to break your API which is very counter to what, you know, you normally hear like the API should not break. It should always be, be the same. But the reason that people feel that is they don't have anything that can catch those issues. And so that's how they're, so they have a piece that said exactly that it's, it's okay to break your API, but then it, so that's the viewpoint, but it explains it and educates in a way that's, shows that you need to have something to be able to to catch that that exception mm-hmm. and it just so happens that their tool is it right so being able to to drill in those that opinion already existed right and it's a big part of how their company was founded but being able to to share that and not being afraid to in a in a world where where everyone's worried about their API going down being willing to share that, yeah, that viewpoint and explain how that actually connects. The viewpoint is really interesting. It's it's planting your flag, right? And yeah. So this is yeah. what we believe. This is what we stand for. Or this is the way that we think things should work. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. If I'm if I'm understanding it wrong, but I think of a couple of examples. Like I don't know if you know Peter Soom from Reform, but yeah. he was working on a product called Branch, which he sold. But Branch was like again, it's a different language to me, but a continuous integration, something or other. Essentially, with like what I think the flag that he was planning was like you shouldn't have to like deploy individually every time. Like you should just be able to do it as you go, as yep. you as you develop. And it's always for like teams and a lot of agencies. Or I, I even think of a little bit like Rally by Jordan Gall, Jordan Gall, who we talked about pre-recording a little bit. But Rally is like this this headless checkout product and sort of yeah. they plant their flag and they're sort of like the anti-Shopify in some ways because they believe that you shouldn't be locked into some sort of ecosystem. Yeah. You should be able to have a lot of flexibility in the checkout experience and, um, yeah. and things their, like that. Their but, viewpoint is strong. Yeah. Yeah, very, very strong. Yeah. And that's any, any other examples that's ideal, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think some, you know, some of the, like, if you go back to the very beginning of Salesforce, which was one of the first APIs, one of the first three, I forget the order of eBay, Hmm. Amazon and Salesforce, but this is like (laughs) 2000 timeframe. They, they said, this is the way software is going to be built. And that was in a world where you had to, there was a long sales cycle to be able to get your, your CRM 
and be able to install it on your physical servers, right? Like all of that. And they said, no, that that's not the way things are going to be, right? And that was a that was a brave stance to take, and it was counter at the time. I think all of us who deal in SaaS, both as marketers and as users, I can agree that that was the right viewpoint to take, right? Right. Yeah. Right. But that viewpoint yeah. today wouldn't work, right? So it's 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 what are, what do you believe that is different? And and so I think you know you can look in my world in security. Like security is important would not be a a viewpoint that is different enough from others, right? So it's how can mm-hmm. you how can you actually say what the what the different piece is there? Yeah, that feels like a really really critical piece to the puzzle because you're like you said you're doing positioning, but then you're also mapping that positioning back to a story and a really strong a really strong story at that about how you believe the world should work according to the problems that you solve essentially. Right. But a lot of it really just kind of understanding like your place within the ecosystem, what makes you different and then why that difference matters. Yeah. uh, is really what it sounds like it levels up to. Yeah. And I think, I think those opinions exist in, I guess I'll couch it with most companies. I think successful (laughs) companies that are going to be successful, it definitely exists but I, I think that's probably a, a job that maybe outside of founders, marketers are in the best position to be able to, to do mm-hmm. is to go and discover what that viewpoint is, hone it in a way that, that an audience will, will care about, and then, you know, yeah, plant that flag and help tell that story. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take us too far down this rabbit hole, but there are a lot of parallels to, from like developer first marketing to the, the two I think of are no code and crypto and web three, the no code, because I think that, you know, it's essentially programming without using code. Yeah. Right. But a lot of the same parallels are, are there with tutorials and with sort of this whole education piece, but also with planting a flag about how you think things should work. Cause there's a lot of, yeah. I think as we're in the early days of a lot of these automation tools, there's just all sorts of different ways that you can go about achieving the same thing. And so it's like, well, do you map everything back to an Airtable first? And like, which way do you hook up the integration? And what's the sort of source of truth? And what's the best yeah. way to keep this thing updated, right? And there's all sorts of different flags that you can plant. And then and similar the more, with, with crypto. Yeah, the more sorry, you get into into that on the on the no code side the more that feels a lot like what developers have to think about all, yeah. all the time too right so all the time. it is it is uh it is really interesting yeah go ahead yeah and then and then with crypto i was trying to think like what's a really really strong example of a viewpoint and i just couldn't help think of you know like decentralization right yeah. or like with a lot of the different blockchains right now comparing uh, a Bitcoin to an Ethereum to a Solana, like they all have their different positioning stories, right? And so like Bitcoin is the store of value and it's all about security. Ethereum is sort of about this programmable, you know, sort of blend of like, mm. you can program on it, but it's also secure. But then Solana is all about speed and low cost, right? So they all have these different stories about what they do well and and their viewpoint about how they think yeah. sh- things should work. And there's a lot of different, a lot of parallels there to and, those worlds. And similar to Salesforce of 22 years ago is 
a lot of those flags that they're planting are saying this is the future of <laughs> of the way yeah, right. things are going to be. <laughs> and we're not sure yet, right? Like, you know, I I definitely pay attention to that space, but there's still a lot of interesting problems that haven't been solved the old way yet. <laughs> so I I often yeah. you know, find myself still gravitating toward, you know, what what you do with the technology should always be more interesting than the technology itself. And and so that's some of that kind of crypto and Web3 world is getting a little bit too much in the what the technology is itself. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and the developers will have to learn that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they'll listen to this and grab some cues and it'll be a net positive for, for the community. But listen, I don't want to take too much more of your time. This has been amazing exploration. But I want to wrap up with two questions here. One is, or the first one is, what are a few examples of marketing campaigns, tactics, examples that you you know, you saved, you find it really exceptional. Yeah. You always look back to and point to and like, this was an amazing thing that one company yeah. did. If you have a couple of those. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So we talked about the developer content mind trick. So the, how do you create this big piece of content that really talks about the problem that a developer has? And the one that I point to first there always is Gremlin's Chaos Monkey Guide. And uh, it is, I think, almost 20,000 words. It's split into, I mean, it's its its, its own subsection of their site. It has some of the global nav, but then has kind of its own nav. And I, I think that does really well for them. And, and it's, you know, it's what classically might have been like a white paper or something, you know, that, mm. that's gated, but it's not right. It's, it's out there and it's open. And, but what I also like about it is it has a PDF option. So it's sort of like, it's a great example to send to marketers who are looking to do something like that to say, you know, you can have that blend of what a developer would want to see, but then maybe, I mean, this is so chaos engineering, like that might be something that's at a, at a higher engineering management level to be thinking about also. And so maybe that is an audience that that wants to have the PDF because they need to then share it with with someone else and have sort of uh, internal discussion, right? So mm-hmm. so I, I like that one a lot. And then then for an, another, I I can't point to it because it was a landing page, but I took screenshots and launched darkly. I went from just a like an ad. So we talked about advertising earlier, and and it was how to do it well. Well. Their ad was for a guide like like that. I don't know how many words that was, but it's a deep guide. Uh, I think it even might be a, an O'Reilly collaboration, so it's a book even. And it's on uh, on feature flags, which is their you know their primary tool. But the great thing about this landing page was it was all about education, and you could look and kind of control F, which is, that's one of my, one of my like tricks for finding promotion, whether something's promotion or not, is just control F Mm. and type in the company name or the product name. And usually you see it all over the headline and the top of the page, right? You know, it's like so strong like hundreds of mentions. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And this was like three down at the bottom, just doing some sort of like social proof at the bottom and they mention it. And everything else was focused on what this dev wants to learn. 
And, and so I thought that was great because they had to pay money when I clicked that link. Right. And so that's sort of the circumstance where you think, okay, they, they, they've paid for this. They have the right to ask me all my information and tell me how great they are, (laughs) but they still make that, that, that great approach. So I'm happy to share those screenshots with you if that would be helpful. That'd be awesome. In this. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Fantastic examples. Well, final question for you. When I say everything is marketing, it's the title of the show. What comes to mind? What does that What does that mean to you? You know, I w- I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how, like, I'm not sure if my my book title, developer marketing, does not exist, is the opposite of <laughs> what you mean by everything is marketing, or if they're kind of like I think they're we're sort of saying the same thing. Yeah. So that was the the thing that I thought of is is just that yeah that's that we often think of marketing as these sort of tactical, tricky things, or other people might think of that. Developers definitely think of that. <laughs> but really, it's it's about framing what we have in a way that can be the most helpful for someone. And that's what I mean by <laughs> developer marketing does not exist. And that's how I interpret everything as marketing. I think you nailed it on the head. Adam, it's been amazing. Thank you for teaching me everything I know now about developer-first marketing (laughs) and how developer marketing doesn't exist. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing everything today. Oh, yeah, Corey. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks again to Adam for coming on the show. And make sure to check out his book, Developer Marketing Does Not Exist. If you can spare a moment, click on the link in the show notes and pop on Twitter to thank him for sharing everything and let him know what you learned. He is Adam D on Twitter. And to wrap up, here are a few of my takeaways. First of all, Adam's big thing is educate and inspire. Since most developers are essentially allergic to anything that smells like promotion, you have to market in a way that teaches first. I also love the dev framework, discovery, education, and viewpoint. And the viewpoint part especially is interesting as you have to plant your flag somewhere. Have an opinion, translate your positioning into a story about how things should work. And finally, content is really at the heart of developer marketing. Tutorials are absolutely huge, whether it's through text or video, helping developers with specific use cases is a universal marketing strategy for developer-first tools. If you've got a question or a takeaway you want to share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast, as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swifiles.com slash membership. You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.